Chapter Twenty Three of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter Twenty Three treats of the company of mr vincent crummles and of his affairs domestic and theatrical as mr crummles had a strange four-legged animal in the inn stables which he called a pony and a vehicle of unknown design on which he bestowed the appellation of a four-wheeled phaeton nicholas proceeded on his journey next morning with greater ease than he had expected the manager and himself occupying the front seat and the master crummleses and smike being packed together behind in company with a wicker basket defended from wet by a stout oilskin in which were the broadswords pistols pigtails nautical costumes and, and other professional necessaries of the aforesaid young gentleman the pony took his time upon the road and possibly in consequence of his theatrical education evinced every now and then a strong inclination to lie down however mr vincent crummles kept him up pretty well by jerking the rein and plying the whip and when these means failed and the animal came to a stand the elder master crummles got out and kicked him by dint of these encouragements he was persuaded to move from time to time and they jogged on as mr crummles truly observed very comfortably for all parties he's a good pony at bottom said mr crummles turning to nicholas he might have been at bottom but he certainly was not at top seeing that his coat was of the roughest and most ill-favoured kind so nicholas merely observed that he shouldn't wonder if he was many and many is the circuit this pony has gone said mr crummles flicking him skilfully on the eyelid for old acquaintance sake he is quite one of us his mother was on the stage was she rejoined nicholas she ate apple pie at a circus for upwards of fourteen years said the manager fired pistols and went to bed in a nightcap and in short took a low comedy entirely his father was a dancer was he at all distinguished not very said the manager he was rather a low sort of pony the fact is he had been originally jobbed out by the day and he never quite got over his old habits he was very clever in melodrama too but too broad too broad when the mother died he took the port wine business port wine business cried nicholas drinking port wine with a clown said the manager but he was greedy and one night bit off a bowl of the glass and choked himself so his vulgarity was the death of him at last the descendant of this ill-starred animal requiring increased attention from mr crummles as he progressed in his day's work that gentleman had very little time for conversation nicholas was thus left at leisure to entertain himself with his own thoughts until they arrived at the drawbridge at portsmouth when mr crummles pulled up we'll get down here said the manager and the boys will take him round to the stable and call at my lodgings with the luggage you had better let yours be taken there for the present thanking mr crummles for his obliging offer nicholas jumped out and giving smike his arm accompanied the manager up high street on their way to the theatre feeling nervous and uncomfortable enough at the prospect of an immediate introduction to a scene so new to him they passed a great many bills pasted against the walls and displayed in windows wherein the names of mr vincent crummles mrs vincent crummles master crummles master p crummles and miss crummles were printed in very large letters and everything else in very small ones and turning at length into an entry in which was a strong smell of orange peel and lamp oil with an undercurrent of sawdust 
groped their way through a dark passage and descending a step or two threaded a little maze of canvas screens and paint pots and emerged upon the stage of the portsmouth theatre here we are said mr crummles it was not very light but nicholas found himself close to the first entrance on the prompt side among bare walls dusty scenes mildewed clouds heavily daubed draperies and dirty floors he looked about him ceiling pit boxes gallery orchestra fittings and decorations of every kind all looked coarse cold gloomy and wretched is this a theatre whispered smike in amazement i thought it was a blaze of light and finery why so it is replied nicholas hardly less surprised but not by day smike not by day the manager's voice recalled him from a more careful inspection of the building to the opposite side of the proscenium where at a small mahogany table with rickety legs and of an oblong shape sat a stout portly female apparently between forty and fifty in a tarnished silk cloak with a bonnet dangling by the strings in her hand and her hair of which she had a great quantity braided in a large festoon over each temple mr johnson said the manager for nicholas had given him the name which newman noggs had bestowed upon him in his conversation with mrs kenwigs let me introduce mrs vincent crummles i'm glad to see you sir said mrs vincent crummles in a sepulchral voice i am very glad to see you and still more happy to hail you as a promising member of our corps the lady shook nicholas by the hand as she addressed him in these terms he saw it was a large one but had not expected quite such an iron grip as that with which she honoured him and this said the lady crossing to smike as tragic actresses cross when they obey a stage direction and this is the other you two are welcome sir he'll do i think my dear said the manager taking a pinch of snuff he is admirable replied the lady an acquisition indeed as mrs vincent crummles recrossed back to the table there bounded onto the stage from some mysterious inlet a little girl in a dirty white frock with tucks up to the knees short trousers sandaled shoes white spencer pink gauze bonnet green veil and curl papers who turned a pirouette cut twice in the air turned another pirouette and looking off at the opposite wing shrieked bounded forward to within six inches of the footlights and fell into a beautiful attitude of terror as a shabby gentleman in an old pair of buff slippers came in at one powerful slide and chattering his teeth fiercely brandished a walking-stick they are going through the indian savage and the maiden said mrs crummles oh said the manager the little ballet interlude very good go on a little this way if you please mr johnson that'll do now the manager clapped his hands as a signal to proceed and the savage becoming ferocious made a slide towards the maiden but the maiden avoided him in six twirls and came down at the end of the last one upon the very points of her toes this seemed to make some impression upon the savage for after a little more ferocity and chasing of the maiden into corners he began to relent and stroked his face several times with his right thumb and forefingers thereby intimating that he was struck with admiration of the maiden's beauty acting upon the impulse of this passion he the savage began to hit himself severe thumps in the chest and to exhibit other indications of being desperately in love which being rather a prosy proceeding was very likely the cause of the maiden's falling asleep whether it was or no asleep she did fall sound as a church on a sloping bank and the savage perceiving it leant his left ear on his left hand and nodded sideways 
to intimate to all whom it might concern that she was asleep and no shamming being left to himself the savage had a dance all alone just as he left off the maiden woke rubbed her eyes got off the bank and had a dance all alone too such a dance that the savage looked on in ecstasy all the while and when it was done plucked from a neighbouring tree some botanical curiosity resembling a small pickled cabbage and offered it to the maiden who at first wouldn't have it but on the savage shedding tears relented then the savage jumped for joy then the maiden jumped for rapture at the sweet smell of the pickled cabbage then the savage and the maiden danced violently together and finally the savage dropped down on one knee and the maiden stood on one leg upon his other knee thus concluding the ballet and leaving the spectators in a state of pleasing uncertainty whether she would ultimately marry the savage or return to her friends very well indeed said mr crumbles bravo bravo cried nicholas resolved to make the best of everything beautiful this sir said mr vincent crummles bringing the maiden forward this is the infant phenomenon miss ninetta crummles your daughter inquired nicholas my daughter my daughter replied mr vincent crummles the idol of every place we go sir we have had complimentary letters about this girl sir from the nobility and gentry of almost every town in england i am not surprised at that said nicholas she must be quite a natural genius quite a mr crummles stopped language was not powerful enough to describe the infant phenomenon i'll tell you what sir he said the talent of this child is not to be imagined she must be seen sir seen to be ever so faintly appreciated there go to your mother my dear may i ask how old she is inquired nicholas you may sir replied mr crummles looking steadily in his questioner's face as some men do when they have doubts of being implicitly believed in what they are going to say she is ten years of age sir not more not a day dear me said nicholas it's extraordinary it was for the infant phenomenon though of short stature had a comparatively aged countenance and had moreover been precisely the same age not perhaps to the full extent of the memory of the oldest inhabitant but certainly for five good years but she had been kept up late every night and put upon an unlimited allowance of gin and water for infancy to prevent her growing tall and perhaps this system of training had produced in the infant phenomenon these additional phenomena while this short dialogue was going on the gentleman who had enacted the savage came up with his walking shoes on his feet and his slippers in his hand to within a few paces as if desirous to join in the conversation deeming this a good opportunity he put in his word talent there sir said the savage nodding towards miss crummles nicholas assented ah said the actor setting his teeth together and drawing in his breath with a hissing sound she oughtn't to be in the provinces she oughtn't what do you mean asked the manager i mean to say replied the other warmly that she is too good for country boards and that she ought to be in one of the large houses in london or nowhere and i tell you more without mincing the matter that if it wasn't for envy and jealousy in some quarter that you know of she would be perhaps you'll introduce me here mr crummles mr folair said the manager presenting him to nicholas happy to know you sir mr folair touched the brim of his hat with his forefinger and then shook hands a recruit sir i understand an unworthy one replied nicholas did you ever see such a set out as that whispered the actor drawing him away as crummles left them to speak to his wife as what 
Mr. Folair made a funny face from his pantomime collection, and pointed over his shoulder. You don't mean the infant phenomenon? Infant humbug, sir, replied Mr. Folair. There isn't a female child of common sharpness in a charity school that couldn't do better than that. She may thank her star she was born a manager's daughter. You seem to take it to heart, observed Nicholas with a smile. Yes, by Jove, and well I may, said Mr. Folair, drawing his arm through his and walking him up and down the stage. Isn't it enough to make a man crusty to see that little sprawler put up in the best business every night, and actually keeping money out of the house, by being forced down the people's throats, while other people are passed over? Isn't it extraordinary to see a man's confounded family conceit blinding him even to his own interest? Why, I know of fifteen and sixpence that came to Southampton one night last month to see me dance the Highland Fling. And what's the consequence? I've never been put up in it since, never once, while the infant phenomenon has been grinning through artificial flowers at five people and a baby in the pit and two boys in the gallery every night. If I may judge from what I have seen of you, said Nicholas, you must be a valuable member of the company. Oh, replied Mr. Folair, beating his slippers together to knock the dust out. I can come it pretty well, nobody better, perhaps, in my own line. But having such business as one gets here is like putting lead on one's feet instead of chalk, and dancing in fetters without the credit of it. Hello, old fellow, how are you? The gentleman addressed in these latter words was a dark-complexioned man, inclining indeed to sallow, with long, thick black hair, and very evident inclinations, although he was close-shaved, of a stiff beard, and whiskers of the same deep shade. His age did not appear to exceed thirty, though many at first sight would have considered him much older, as his face was long and very pale, from the constant application of stage paint. He wore a checked shirt, an old green coat with new gilt buttons, a neckerchief of broad red and green stripes, and full blue trousers. He carried, too, a common ash walking-stick, apparently more for show than use, and he flourished it about with the hooked end downwards, except when he raised it for a few seconds, and throwing himself into a fencing attitude, and made a pass or two at the side scenes or any other object, animate or inanimate, that chanced to afford him a pretty good mark at the moment. "'Well, Tommy,' said this gentleman, making a thrust at his friend, who parried it dexterously with his slipper, "'what's the news?' A new appearance, that's all, replied Mr. Folair, looking at Nicholas. Do the honours, Tommy, do the honours, said the other gentleman, tapping him reproachfully on the crown of the hat with his stick. This is Mr. Lenville, who does our first tragedy, Mr. Johnson, said the pantomimist. Except when old Bricks and Mortar takes it into his head to do it himself, you should add, Tommy, remarked Mr. Lenville. You know who Bricks and Mortar is, I suppose, sir? I do not indeed, replied Nicholas. We call Crummles that because his style of acting is rather in the heavy and ponderous way, said Mr. Lenville. I mustn't be cracking jokes, though, for I've got a part of twelve lengths here, which I must be up in tomorrow night, and I haven't had time to look at it yet. I'm a confounded quick study, that's one comfort. Consoling himself with this reflection, Mr. Lenville drew from his coat pocket a greasy and crumpled manuscript, and having made another pass at his friend, proceeded to walk to and fro, conning it to himself and indulging occasionally in such appropriate action as his imagination and the text suggested. A pretty general muster of the company had by this time taken place, for besides Mr. Lenville and his friend Tommy, 
there were present a slim young gentleman with weak eyes who played the low-spirited lovers and sang tenor songs and who had come arm in arm with the comic countryman a man with a turned-up nose large mouth broad face and staring eyes making himself very amiable to the infant phenomenon was an inebriated elderly gentleman in the last depths of shabbiness who played the calm and virtuous old men and paying a special court to mrs crummles was another elderly gentleman a shade more respectable who played the irascible old men those funny fellows who have nephews in the army and perpetually run about with thick sticks to compel them to marry heiresses besides these there was a roving-looking person in a rough greatcoat who strode up and down in front of the lamps flourishing a dress cane and rattling away in an undertone with great vivacity for the amusement of an ideal audience he was not quite so young as he had been and his figure was rather running to seed but there was an air of exaggerated gentility about him which bespoke the hero of swaggering comedy there was also a little group of three or four young men with lantern jaws and thick eyebrows who were conversing in one corner but they seemed to be of a secondary importance and laughed and talked together without attracting any attention the ladies were gathered in a little knot by themselves round the rickety table before mentioned there was miss nebelici who could do anything from a medley dance to a lady macbeth and also always played some part in blue silk knee smalls at her benefit glancing from the depths of her coal scuttle straw bonnet at nicholas and affecting to be absorbed in the recital of a diverting story to her friend miss ledrook who had brought her work and was making up a ruff in the most natural manner possible there was miss belvorney who seldom aspired to speaking parts and usually went on as a page in white silk hose to stand with one leg bent and contemplate the audience or to go in and out after mr crummles in a stately tragedy twisting up the ringlets of the beautiful miss bravassa who had once had her likeness taken in character by an engraver's apprentice whereof impressions were hung up for sale in the pastry cook's window and the greengrocer's and at the circulating library and the box office wherever the announce bills came out for her annual night there was mrs lenville in a very limp bonnet and veil decidedly in that way in which she would wish to be if she truly loved mr lenville there was miss gazingi with an imitation ermine boa tied in a loose knot round her neck flogging mr crummles junior with both ends in fun lastly there was mrs grudden in a brown cloth pelisse and a beaver bonnet who assisted mrs crummles in her domestic affairs and took money at the doors and dressed the ladies and swept the house and held the prompt book when everybody else was on for the last scene and acted any kind of part on any emergency without ever learning it and was put down in the bills under any name or names whatever that occurred to mr crummles as looking well in print mr Folair, having obligingly confided these particulars to nicholas left him to mingle with his fellows the work of personal introduction was completed by mr vincent crummles who publicly heralded the new actor as a prodigy of genius and learning i beg your pardon said miss snevelici sliding towards nicholas but did you ever play at canterbury i never did replied nicholas i recollect meeting a gentleman at canterbury said miss snevelici only for a few moments for i was leaving the company as he joined it so like you that i felt almost certain it was the same i see you now for the first time rejoined nicholas with all due gallantry 
i am sure i never saw you before i couldn't have forgotten it oh i am sure it's very flattering of you to say so retorted miss snevellicci with a graceful bend now i look at you again i see that the gentleman at canterbury hadn't the same eyes as you you'll think me very foolish for taking notice of such things won't you not at all said nicholas how can i feel otherwise than flattered by your notice in any way oh you men are such vain creatures cried miss snevellicci whereupon she became charmingly confused and pulling out her pocket-handkerchief from a faded pink silk reticule with a gilt clasp called to miss ledrook led my dear said miss snevellicci well what is the matter said miss ledrook it's not the same not the same what canterbury you know what i mean come here i want to speak to you but miss ledrook wouldn't come to miss snevellicci so miss snevellicci was obliged to go to miss ledrook which she did in a skipping manner it was quite fascinating and miss ledrook evidently joked miss snevellicci about being struck with nicholas for after some playful whispering miss snevellicci hit miss ledrook very hard on the backs of her hands and retired up in a state of pleasing confusion ladies and gentlemen said mr vincent crummles who had been writing on a piece of paper we'll call the mortal struggle to-morrow at ten everybody for the procession intrigue and ways and means you're all up in so we shall only want one rehearsal everybody at ten if you please everybody at ten repeated mrs grudden looking about her on monday morning we shall read a new piece said mr crummles the name's not known yet but everybody will have a good part mr johnson will take care of that oh said nicholas starting i on monday morning repeated mr crummles raising his voice to drown the unfortunate mr johnson's remonstrance that'll do ladies and gentlemen the ladies and gentlemen required no second notice to quit and in a few minutes the theatre was deserted saved by the crummles family nicholas and smike upon my word said nicholas taking the manager aside i don't think i can be ready by monday pooh pooh replied mr crummles but really i can't returned nicholas my invention is not accustomed to these demands or possibly i might produce invention what the devil's that got to do with it cried the manager hastily everything my dear sir nothing my dear sir retorted the manager with evident impatience do you understand french perfectly well very good said the manager opening the table drawer and giving a roll of paper from it to nicholas there just turn that into english and put your name on the title page damn me said mr crummles angrily if i haven't often said that i wouldn't have a man or woman in my company that wasn't a master of the language so that they might learn it from the original and play it in english and save all this trouble and expense nicholas smiled and pocketed the play what are you going to do about your lodgings said mr crummles nicholas could not help thinking that for the first week it would be an uncommon convenience to have a turn-up bedstead in the pit but he merely remarked that he had not turned his thoughts that way come home with me then said mr crummles and my boy shall go with you after dinner and show you the most likely place the offer was not to be refused nicholas and mr crummles gave mrs crummles an arm each and walked up the street in a stately array smike the boys and the phenomenon went home by a shorter cut and mrs grudden remained behind to take some cold irish stew and a pint of porter in the box office mrs crummles trod the pavement as if she were going to immediate execution with an animating consciousness of innocence and that heroic fortitude which virtue alone inspires mr crummles on the other hand assumed the look and gait of a hardened despot 
but they both attracted some notice from many of the passers-by and when they heard a whisper of mr and mrs crummles or saw a little boy run back to stare them in the face the severe expression of their countenances relaxed for they felt it was popularity mr crummles lived in st thomas's street at the house of one bulf a pilot who sported a boat green door with window frames of the same colour and had the little finger of a drowned man on his parlour mantel-shelf with other maritime and natural curiosities he displayed also a brass knocker a brass plate and a brass bell-handle all very bright and shining and had a mast with a vane on the top of it in his backyard you are welcome said mrs crummles turning round to nicholas when they reached the bow-windowed front room on the first floor nicholas bowed his acknowledgments and was unfeignedly glad to see the cloth laid we have but a shoulder of mutton with onion sauce said mrs crummles in the same charnel-house voice but such as our dinner is we beg you to partake of it you are very good replied nicholas i shall do it ample justice vincent said mrs crummles what is the hour five minutes past dinner-time said mr crummles mrs crummles rang the bell let the mutton and onion sauce appear the slave who attended upon mr bolf's lodgers disappeared and after a short interval reappeared with the festive banquet nicholas and the infant phenomenon opposed each other at the pembroke table and smike and the master crummleses dined on the sofa bedstead are they very theatrical people here asked nicholas no replied mr crummles shaking his head far from it far from it i pity them observed mrs crummles so do i said nicholas if they have no relish for theatrical entertainments properly conducted then they have none sir rejoined mr crummles to the infant's benefit last year on which occasion she repeated three of her most popular characters and also appeared in the fairy porcupine as originally performed by her there was a house of no more than four pound twelve is it possible cried nicholas and two pound of that was trespass said the phenomenon and two pound of that was trust repeated mr crummles mrs crummles herself has played to mere handfuls but they are always a taking audience vincent said the manager's wife most audiences are when they have good acting real good acting the regular thing replied mr crummles forcibly do you give lessons ma'am inquired nicholas i do said mrs crummles there is no teaching here i suppose there has been said mrs crummles i have received pupils here i imparted tuition to the daughter of a dealer in ship's provision but it afterwards appeared that she was insane when she first came to me it was very extraordinary that she should come under such circumstances not feeling quite so sure of that nicholas thought it best to hold his peace let me see said the manager cogitating after dinner would you like some nice little part with the infant you are very good replied nicholas hastily but i think perhaps it would be better if i had somebody of my own size at first in case i should turn out awkward i should feel more at home perhaps true said the manager perhaps you would and you could play up to the infant in time you know certainly replied nicholas devoutly hoping that it would be a very long time before he was honoured with this distinction then i'll tell you what we'll do said mr crummles you shall study romeo when you have done that piece don't forget to throw the pump and tubs in by the by juliet miss snevellici old grudden the nurse yes that'll do very well rover too you might get up rover while you are about it and cassio and jeremy diddler you can easily knock them off one part helps the other so much here they are cues and all 
With these hasty general directions, Mr. Crummles thrust a number of little books into the faltering hands of Nicholas, and bidding his eldest son go with him and show where lodgings were to be had, shook him by the hand and wished him good night. There is no lack of comfortable furnished apartments in Portsmouth, and no difficulty in finding some that are proportionate to very slender finances. But the former were too good, and the latter too bad, and they went into so many houses and came out unsuited that Nicholas seriously began to think he should be obliged to ask permission to spend the night in the theatre after all. Eventually, however, they stumbled upon two small rooms up three pair of stairs, or rather two pair and a ladder, at a tobacconist's shop on the common hard, a dirty street leading down to the dockyard. These Nicholas engaged, only too happy to have escaped any request for payment of a week's rent beforehand. "'There, lay down our personal property,' Smikey said, after showing young Crummles downstairs. "'We have fallen upon strange times, and heaven only knows the end of them. But I am tired with the events of these three days, and will postpone reflection till tomorrow, if I can.'" End of chapter 23